The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. Today's Buzz Space. I'm not talking outer space. I'm talking inner space. But if you want to space out with us, we're going to tell you what's the in thing about space. So listen up. Here we go. Changing the culture and shaking up the status quo in large organizations and probably in any size organization is always challenging. But today, it's the key to your survival. How are you going to get this done? Well, listen up. You can build a culture of continuous innovation. You know innovation is a big, popular, trending word here on all of our Game Changers radio shows. How do you do it? You identify the right people, the right process, and the right space. There's that space word again. So here's a reality check. Think about it. You're working in a tiny cubicle with matching furniture. Everything's pink or gray and touchy-feely fabric, and you've got halfway walls up. Are you going to be creative? I don't think so. Or you sit everybody down in a traditional conference room with those stiff, heavy chairs and the big table and the whiteboard. How is that brainstorming going to work for you and your people? Maybe not so well. Here's a hint. Your employees, your partners, and your customers need a stimulating environment. That's right. That's where the word space comes in. Why? It's going to inspire them to loosen their ties. I know they're not wearing ties anymore. We're talking proverbially. And help them think outside the box. I know it's a lot to grasp redoing the traditional office space, but we have assembled a panel of experts today, and they have so much to tell you that it's all going to make sense. So let's get started. I'm pleased to welcome my first panelist today. My first guest is Greg Petroff, P-E-T-R-O-F-F. He's the chief experience officer, that's a new take on CEO, at GE Software and general manager of the User Experience Center of Excellence of GE Software. And here is the quote he sent me from Charles Eames. I'll read the quote and then I'll tell you just quickly who Eames is. He said, eventually everything connects, people, ideas, objects. The quality of the connections is the key to quality per se. And just in case you're not familiar with Eames, E-A-M-E-S, Charles Ormond Eames Jr. and his wife Bernice Alexandra Ray Eames were American designers responsible for classic, iconic designs of the 20th century in modern architecture, in furniture. They also worked in graphic design, fine art, and film. Greg Petroff, welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. Interesting to have a quote from Eames. I told you I was so excited when you told me you were sending one. So why did you pick this, and how does this have to do with our topic today, which is all about the case for space? Talk to me, Greg. 
Well, there's a couple of things that go on with this particular quote. I mean, uh, Charles and Ray Eames were a uh, an amazing creative duo in the uh, in the 20th century. Um, and, you know, a lot of what we think about in terms of uh, experience design, um, the connections that make software work the way that it works, uh, narrative design, et cetera, come from, you know, the sort of Eames exploration. And I think one of the things that was great about the Eames in general is that they were um, – they were they're abductive. They were sort of what if people. They were constantly on the edge of, um, of being uh, creative and creating uh, new outcomes for uh, the businesses that they worked with. So I'm, I've always been a big fan of the Eames um, uh, work ethic, and um, a big believer that uh, you know you have to create environments for people to be successful. Uh, and uh, I thought it just was apropos for the conversation we're having today because um, famously they had an amazing studio space where, you know, many of the great ideas that they came up with were generated in. So if we want to talk about space and, um, uh, and how it can uh, connect us to becoming more innovative, um, we can kind of actually follow back to Charles and Ray and see that they were kind of one of the seeds of this kind of thinking, you know, 50 years ago. Plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. Greg, that's one of my favorite French quotes. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And we talk about things coming back into fashion. So maybe the Eames, if they were still here, they would be new heroes all over again. What do you think? I absolutely agree with that uh, point of view. I think, um, you know, in the space that I work in, interaction design, uh, user experience, um, you know, I would think uh, if the Eames were here today, they would be working in software and developing you know, products that, uh, uh, you know, we would think of as being very contemporary uh, because, you know, it was always the material that the, of the day that they were working with. And I think that's actually one of the things about creating an environment um, that's important. It's about uh, learning what the materials are that you have at, at your disposal in a, an environment that allows you to explore and be uh, more creative with them uh, and then challenge yourself. And, and it's hard to do that in conventional environments. And I think, uh, if they were here today, they would be breaking new ground uh, uh, just like they were 50 years ago. Interesting point, Greg. I just want to make a comment here. We see so much in the news and on TV shows a small business gets started in somebody's garage, you know who I'm talking about, or around a kitchen table or in a backyard or in somebody's basement, and they all aspire to that classic classy office space with a beautiful glass door and their name on the door and matching cubicles in a beautiful boardroom table. Maybe that needs to be nixed at the very beginning before they aspire. I hope those people, those startup geniuses, are listening to our show today, Greg, so they'll get an idea that maybe you need to spend your time, energy, and money designing a very different kind of space today. Yes? Uh, yeah, and I think there's something about the unfinishedness of the garage mm-hmm. that um, helps generate better and more creative ideas. And I think um, if I were a startup and I became successful, I would want to maintain um, that degree of, um, of uh, I don't know, crazy environment um, only because I think that that's part of the reason why you're successful early is that, you know, that having environments which are unfinished, um, allow your imagination to uh, be more explorative, uh, allow you to be more creative in the process of your thinking. You know, when we sit in environments which are, you know, incredibly well-designed but um, sort of perfectly done, um, they don't um, 
they sort of inhibit your creativity in a way. So I think uh, mm-hmm. if I were a startup, I would definitely want to say uh, find a way to keep that uh, ethos going if you become successful at one point in your journey. Thank you, Greg. Now it's time for me to bring on our second panelist. I'd like to welcome Jason Utopoulos, founder and president of Mach 49. That's lowercase M-A-C-H with a 49. And Jason sent me a quote from Sukant Ratnakar from the collection or the book, Open the Windows to the World Around Us. Let me read the quote, and then I'll just tell you a little bit about Sukant. The quote is, if humans can live for 100 years, why do companies die so young? Jason, I think we've already covered a little bit of this with Greg, but Sukant Ratnakar is a corporate professional, photographer, motivational speaker, columnist, and author. Actually, he was caught writing a story in his history class and, and, uh, reprimanded for it and later won a national award for creative writing. But his book, Open the Windows to the World Around Us, helps unleash the power of observation to activate the creative juices of the mind. Welcome, Jason Yatopoulos. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you talk to me. Interesting quote, and how do you know about Sukant and relate it to our topic, the case for space? Sure, Bonnie. Well, you know, with, with my wife being a gerontologist, it, it's always fascinated me that the human organism can live these days for in excess of about 100 years. Yet at the same time, being a student of kind of the organizational organism that, that, that is the corporation that many of us spend so much of our day-to-day lives in, we see that very few companies are making it to the same ripe old age, which is curious to me. And, and this was the observation of Sukant. Uh, in his book about the power of observation. And indeed, indeed if, you, if you look closely at it, it's true. Uh, nearly all the companies our grandparents once admired have all but disappeared. And if you take a look uh, at the top 100 companies on the Fortune 1000 list in 1961, only six remained a mere mm. 50 years later. And it, wow. it seems to be getting worse, Bonnie. You know, Babson College says that within 10 years, 40% of the existing Fortune 500 will no longer survive. And Yale estimates that, you know, the lifespan of the largest companies has decreased from 67 uh, years in 1920 all the way to 15 years today. And that lifespan is getting shorter and shorter as we experience even more exponential disruptive shifts in markets. And so, you know, reflecting the topic of our conversation, the sentiment of the global CEOs we engage with at Mach 49, you know, why is that? How can this be prevented? And how can companies keep up with the torrid rate of change these days? And really a holistic look at the corporate environment that facilitates innovation that is required. And, you know, I very much look forward to digging into it uh, with the group today. I appreciate that, Jason. Uh, do you agree that space is one of the keys to that innovative spirit, to that creative juice that's going to power companies to live a lot longer? In, just in terms of space, do you think it will make that big an impact? Thoughts? So, so I do. I think, I think uh, mm-hmm. Greg has a, not only a lot of experience here, but, uh, but he got it right. The, there are a number of uh, design principles that can help facilitate the culture and the customer discovery that's, that's required in any particular innovation. Um, so it's really space in the context of culture and behavior. Sometimes these are very artistic or architecturally beautiful spaces, but the, mm-hmm. the, the, really the objective is to, to create and support a culture and a set of behaviors to make a team successful. So, you know, one example would be, you know, manage fluidity. How can, uh, how can the space be flexible enough 
uh, to accommodate a unique work style and incubation stage, yet at the same time within certain defined parameters. How can you, how can you have the simultaneity of not only deep focus, but also cross-pollination uh, across teams, uh, enabling uh, near-term deliverables, but also persistent project artifacts, if you will. And lastly, um, an environment really that facilitates continuous learning and experimentation. So iterative prototyping, uh, experimentation, um, also with the space itself, um, without the impediment of you know, fixed structures that may get mm-hmm. in the way of some of the breakthrough thinking. Interesting. Thank you very much. I'm envisioning these spaces already. And now it's time for me to invite our third panelist to join us. It's Sam Yen. He's no stranger to SAP Game Changers Radio. Sam is calling us from Dublin, Ireland today, man getting around the world. He is the chief design officer at SAP. And Sam sent me an interesting quote from Dr. John M. Culkin, C-U-L-K-I-N, who is a leading critic of the pervasive influence of films and TV on modern life. He's also a proponent of using mass media for society's benefit. Here's the quote from John Culkin. We don't know who discovered water, but we're certain it wasn't a fish. I like that. Sam Yen, welcome back. How are you today? Thank you very well. Thanks for having me again, buddy. Delighted. So talk to me. We're talking, first we're talking space, now we're talking fish tanks or just fish in the space. Link us up, Sam. Go ahead. Well, when you, you know, originally asked for a quote, um, the, the, the quote I was actually thinking of was something uh, from David Foster Wallace, and he, uh, he gave a commencement speech. Uh, about this is water, and he was telling a story of uh, two fish that were swimming through water, uh, and then an older fish coming and swimming in the other direction. Um, and then the older fish just basically asked the question to the younger fish, well, how's the water? And, and then the younger fish kind of sw- swam around, and they swam up the stream a little bit. Uh, and then one turned to the other fish and said, well, what the hell is water? Um, so, so, you know, that was the original quote. But, but you know, there, there wasn't really a quote there. Um, so this was something that I found that was uh, that was uh, that was close enough to that. Um, but uh, yeah, John Culkin was you know he's also uh, interesting when, uh, enough. Uh, uh, you know he was a Jesuit, and I'm a product of Jesuit education. So, mm-hmm. so that's part of the the reason why I chose that particular quote. And I think it's um, it's it's uh, important in, in this conversation because um, you know the obvious, uh, everything that's around us, the environment that we live in. Um, is so essential. You know, in this case, you know, water is so essential for fish. You know, they cannot cannot actually live without the, with, without the water. But it's also the hardest to realize and to actually see and to describe. Um, I think in the same way, um, you know, if you if you're trying to bring an innovation culture into organizations, um, I think it's often over, overlooked that again, the water for these organizations, uh, the space that they live in, um, it's so essential to support that type of innovation culture that you're trying to foster within your teams. Thank you, Sam. While you're talking, I'm thinking of our context so far with Greg and Jason and you. Our context so far is thinking about a corporate space. We go to work. We go somewhere to work. There is a space someone designed and invited us to work there. And I'm thinking we know 
with so much of the workforce connected remotely. I am doing SAP radio from a home office, too much equipment to bring it to someplace else. So creativity, innovation, and the idea of an innovative space may have to be, we may need to cover this later in the conversation, gentlemen, uh, what happens when people are working in their own space but bringing their creativity and innovative ideas to the benefit of the company that employs them. Sam, you want to make a quick comment on that before we go to the what's in your cup segment? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to refer to a previous conversation that we had. Um, I Mm -hmm. think most people will have private areas within their, you know, where they live, where they go to to do their work, and whether it's creative work or whether it's heads down, um, logistical, executional type of work, most people will go ahead and design that space for themselves to make them most effective in what they're doing. It's kind of interesting that um, if you know you were at, you were talking about uh, the very very highly finished glass um, mm-hmm. you know environments uh, that people aspire to, but if you right. look at how people set up their personal spaces, it's often not that at all, and it's often you know what actually what Greg and, 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 and Jason were talking about, things that are a little bit rougher, unfinished, and really designed to allow them to optimize, to allow them to be their creative self or to help them you know, stay focused on tasks. And it's just interesting that in the corporate world, sometimes the aspirations don't actually map to kind of what people do in their individual lives. Thank you, Sam. Guess what? It's time for me to ask my panelists. Well, you know you're on Coffee Break with Game Changers, so of course I'm going to ask you, what's in your cup right now, or what are you planning to drink after the show, hopefully for a celebration? Greg Petroff, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? San Ramon, California, and I have a cup of Pete's Major Dickinson black coffee. I think that's the coffee of the week. Somebody on one of my two shows yesterday was talking about it. And I have a box of Major Dickinson K-Cups in my cabinet here. So I'm with you on that. Do you drink it straight or do you do anything to it? Uh, normally I drink it straight. Depends. Every once in a while I'll add a dollop of milk to it. But it is uh, definitely a very hearty, strong, chewy cup of coffee. I couldn't agree more. I love it. I've learned to cope with caffeine, and that's one of my favorite. I'll say, they say, pick your poison. That's one of mine. Thank you, Greg. Jason Utopolis, where are you calling from, and what's in your cup today? Bonnie, I'm calling from uh, your own New York uh, this mm-hmm. morning, where we're meeting with a set of customers in, in unique spaces to facilitate a set of brainstorming around uh, new businesses. And, uh, you know, by way of what I'm drinking these days, I recently returned, Bonnie, uh, with my family from British Columbia, Canada, over the weekend. We spent a few days skiing at a beautiful place called Big White. And I was in the midst of uh, licking my weekend warrior wounds, which included a, a broken rib uh, from skiing. Oh. And, and as I was in the midst of this, it was suggested by some staff at the, at the ski resort that I stopped by a place on the mountain called the Gun Barrel Grill and have their famous Gun Barrel Coffee. And so, oh. so while I'm not usually a coffee drinker, and this drink was definitely not for the faint of heart, uh, this is the drink uh, from the trip that still sticks with me. So at, at the highest level, it's a piping hot cup of uh, coffee with creme de cacao, topped by whipped cream, and a line of flaming Grand Marnier poured down the double barrel of a shotgun into the glass. Um, oh. it, it took, it took two, of us, two of us to finish, but it was definitely an experience to be remembered. 
be still my heart. I wouldn't drink that before going on live business talk radio if I were you. So I'm, I'm glad it's a memory, a little bit distant, but we certainly would be happy if you had one of those after the show, although it might mess up your, your meetings. I have a quick question, Jason. You said you're in a unique kind of a space for these meetings with, with your customers. What does the space look like? Yeah, so great question. We've got a team of 60 people uh, in about two hours uh, in a bare-bones loft uh, here in the Soho district of uh, New York. And, um, and we've got the teams broken into about uh, six to eight people each uh, with a set of movable whiteboards, um, Post-it notes, uh, uh, what we call makers, who are designers that will help tell the story and visualize uh, these business ideas. And this is typically the first step to creating a new business as we do with, uh, with the world's multinationals. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And Sam Yen, you're in Dublin, Ireland. I don't know what time zone you're in, but tell us what time of the day is it. And I can't wait to hear what you're drinking. So tell us, Sam. Well, it's the end of the day. It's the end of the business day. Uh, and I'm actually at an airport lounge um, in the family room surrounded by toys, kids' toys, uh, because this is a quiet place to take a call. And, uh, you know, I think appropriately enough, I'm drinking uh, Irish coffee. Uh, but I don't want your uh, listeners to get the wrong impression. Uh, there's no whiskey in the coffee. Uh, I'm in Ireland, so uh, this is Irish coffee. Well, thank you. I, I think you're in a very creative environment, but I, I don't want you to be hesitant about that uh, whiskey, Sam, because we had a guest the other day <laughs> on one of our early morning shows who admitted to putting Jameson in his morning coffee, and we just smiled and said, go for it. So I, whatever mm-hmm. is, is, and we're, we're happy to have you. And thank you so much. I know you're very busy traveling, and we're delighted to have you on board. Guess what? My three panelists are working so hard with our quotes and our setting up the topic and telling me what they're drinking. I'm going to give them a break. I'm speaking today with Greg Petroff at GE Software. Yes, that's GE. You know what that is. Jason Utopolis at Mach 49. We'll find out a little bit about that when we come back. And Sam Yen, our friend, the Chief Design Officer at SAP. Guess what? I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. I plan to be after the break. We're talking today about the case for space, disrupting the status quo with innovation. But you knew that already. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial when we come back. Greg Petroff, get ready, Greg. 30-minute nonstop roundtable. Greg's going to kick it off with some interesting comments from the notes he sent me before the show. So we'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're talking about the case for space, S-P-A-C-E, disrupting the status quo with innovation. A couple of comments here on our Twitter feed at hashtag SAP Radio. We have Katie Mosier from SAP commenting that she's working from her personal creative space, her kitchen nook in Idaho. I hope you have less snow out there than we have here in the east, Katie. And Katie says she's listening and enjoying a chocolate banana smoothie. Woohoo! I think I had one of those about an hour ago. Malcolm Kimberlin, also our colleague at SAP, says after a hot cup of Phil's coffee, P-H-I-L-Z, Phil's coffee to sorrow, it's smoothie time. Got my kick. Now I need to keep the momentum. Malcolm, we had some great conversation about Phil's coffee, a cup of love on one of yesterday's shows. So it's catching on and people are knowing more and more about Phil's. Now it's time for us to start our roundtable conversation. And I know Greg Petroff is happy to start this off. Uh, Greg, you're going to tell us something about GE Software in just a minute. But let me read these notes and then you can blend that in. Uh, you're talking in your notes you sent me before the show about creating the environment for teams to be successful. That's what our topic is. And you say to do this in an accelerated way, we need to do it exponentially, moving people away from thinking to an environment where they focus on making. Sounds fascinating. So, Greg, what do you want to tell us about your company? And then how do we move from thinking to making, and what does that mean? Talk to me. Sure. Well, you know, I, I couldn't. Res- I can't resist um, uh, uh, taking the moment to talk about uh, Jason's comment about longevity of companies and um, mm-hmm. To say that the company I work for, uh, GE, has uh, is the only original member of the uh, Dow Jones and has been on the Dow Jones since 1896. That's still on the Dow Jones, and part of it has to do is about that is that the company keeps reinventing itself, um, you know, every 10 years or so, and there's a kind of a culture of reinvention. And I think um, it's apropos to talk about the topic we're talking today because we're in the process of. Another transformation, uh, and that transformation is being helped by um, accelerating innovation through changing the way that we work. Um, So um, uh, uh, I I agree with Jason that uh, longevity is an issue, and and companies need to be taking this on um, uh, as part of their perspective. Um, And the acceleration standpoint, I think the big process that we have in a lot of organizations is that we – we do a lot of thinking before we do anything. Um, and even in GE, you know, we have, you know, meeting after meeting, there are a lot of stakeholders, we sort out, we syndicate, we socialize, uh, we write product requirements documents, etc. cetera. Um, and in the process, we actually don't really learn anything. Um, we learn what we know collectively at that moment, but we don't know what's going on with the world around us that's changing. And so what we're trying to do in our environment is move people from uh, thinking to make to making to think. And the venue mm-hmm. for doing that is making sure that we're always prototyping ideas, or we're always coming up with some form of an artifact in the process of a discussion or a uh, conversation. And those artifacts are defined or designed to provoke uh, a next step or uh, expose an opportunity or highlight uh, an area that uh, would be opportune for the company to go after. Um, and we do that with our customers so that uh, in, a, in a way we can accelerate the speed that we um, 
learn about what's changing our environment. And part of that is connected to sort of two um, trends that are happening right now. One, the materiality of, the, of business has changed, you know, with, with cloud computing and the technology stacks and digitization of business. Uh, there are new uh, materials that people can build business with. Uh, and the second part is that business in general doesn't know how to use those materials, and they're using you know, sort of game book uh, or playbooks uh, that are sort of come out of incrementalist approach, right? At 5% faster, 2% cheaper, you know, that's how we're going to win in the market without realizing that this new material, the, the uh, digital tools that uh, companies can use, um, could allow them to be 50% faster or could disrupt them if a, uh, 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 an outsider were to take uh, an opportunity to use the same set of tools. So it's important to have environments that allow people to uh, retrain their prediction frameworks, retrain their ability to understand what's going on. And the only way we know how to do that is to do it experiential, experientially uh, mm-hmm. and to do that by making. And so we spend a lot of time in our creative environments, uh, in our design center, um, bringing people together to explore this new sort of business environment through the process of creating prototypes. Okay. Jason Utopolis, Mach 49, what do you think about what Greg just said? Talk to us. Yeah, so I think I think Greg has it uh, you know, pretty spot on. The, the pace of change these days is so rapid. Uh, we need to look no further than, say, Kodak or, or BlackBerry, who, who themselves pioneered new markets with technologies but simply failed to change in the face of disruption, uh, you know, or Sun Microsystems, DEC, AOL, you know, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. But the pace of the market uh, is requiring, on a regular basis, truly transformative shifts. I was with uh, Columbia professor Rita McGrath uh, the, other, uh, the other night, in fact, last night, who wrote the book, The End of Competitive Advantage. And she outlines the shifts that they need to make, otherwise they face the threat of decline uh, and ex- extinction. So, you know, when we look at the most innovative companies in the marketplace today, these are frankly, offerings that they're bringing forward that could be brought forward by larger corporations, by way of example. And the question is, why do they not? I mean, you think about Airbnb and hospitality, or Dropbox and mail or packaging, Netflix and entertainment, Solar City and energy, Uber and transportation. And, and what's fascinating to me about these is, while they may be technology-enabled, the innovation is not exclusively around technology anymore. As Greg alludes to, it's about other elements like business model innovation or new ways to go to market. And so, uh, you know, so in essence, one needs to fundamentally get into the marketplace and iterate prototypes to sense and respond with the purpose of learning quickly and validating customer desirability as opposed to what's done traditionally perhaps with many large companies which is the, you know, the, the ethos around getting it perfect the first time. These days in the marketplace, there is no time for perfect. And, and mm-hmm. we also you know, spend a lot of time, our customers, focused on the notion that truly ideas are cheap. I mean, we're seeing a lot of very compelling innovation theater, um, but in the end, execution is the hard part. And we say it's best done by disrupting inside out. In other words, by an expert team of insiders and outsiders that leverages the unique assets and capabilities of a company 
that constitute, in fact, the, that, the unfair advantage in entering these, you know, these new markets. And so a lot of these big companies are acquiring uh, startups when instead there are holistic changes that can be facilitated by things like a shift in culture, which is assisted by a change in space, uh, governance, the way you engage with customers, funding and development, which hopefully we'll have, a, have the opportunity to, to touch upon uh, over the course of the call as well. We will. Thank you. Sam Yen, join us. Thoughts on what Greg and Jason have put on the table? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the things uh, I think that, that we're talking about um, intellectually make sense, uh, but it's really, really hard to do in a large organization. Um, um, well, uh, there's a professor at Stanford in the business school. He actually has a psychology background. His name is uh, Professor Baba Shiv. And he talks mm-hmm. about two psychological mindsets of people, um, and not just people, but organizations. Um, and he says, like, the type one mindset, um, these, are, these are organizations uh, that are fear, fearful of making mistakes, right? Um, and then, um, but then type two mindsets, are, are people that are fearful and organizations that are fearful, fearful of losing out on opportunities. And I think the vast majority of us that work in larger organizations, you know, tend to be more risk averse, uh, you know, the, the type one mindsets. So while kind of what we're saying, you know, makes logical sense, actually kind of making sure that, you know, we're able to drive that type of culture within our organizations is often, you know, very difficult because it really goes against sometimes, you know, the, you know, the mindset of what, who people are. Um, the other point, um, maybe I just wanted to comment on, on Jason's point about mm-hmm. ideas are cheap and execution is key. And I know that's something that, uh, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, the VC com- community talks a lot about that. But I just wanted to challenge that a little bit um, in the sense that, um, you know, I, I think, you know, when, when cultures and organizations want to innovate, um, you know, in, innovation in my mind has always been kind of a mixture of, of execution and creativity. Um, and I would argue that a lot of organizations today have processes in place to innovate, you know, we, uh, to execute. We could argue that, you know, that execution needs to be um, um, accelerated and has to be more rapid and has to be faster. But I think um, a lot of organizations actually kind of lack that, um, that ability to be creative. Um, you know, maybe this is different kind of at the individual startup level or an entrepreneurial level, mm-hmm. but certainly in large organizations, the organizational creativity uh, and, and their and organizations' confidence, their, the confidence in their ability to cre- uh, to be creative, and to have you know processes of creativity and to be able to scale creative creativity, I think is also kind of an issue. Um, so yes, execution is important, uh, but also you know, if you truly want to innovate, you have to figure out how to bring up the creative potential of your organization as well. Good point, Sam. Uh, Jason, you want to comment on Sam's comments on your comment? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's a fair point, Sam. Uh, we find companies, in fact, I've sat with, sat with chairmen the past couple months of multibillion-dollar companies, and, and one gentleman told me, we don't have any creative or entrepreneurial people. And I said, well, that's interesting. Let's, let's talk about that, because my experience is that there are sort of three archetypes of people in an organization. One are uh, the folks that can take a big business and kind of squeeze the efficiency out of it, the folks that are generating the cash cow. Another type uh, are the folks where if you give them a model, um, they will scale it uh, and rinse, cycle, and repeat. The third is really the type of folks we're talking about who are a little iconoclastic, can really paint a vision, and can charismatically 
start something, you know, uh, from a seed. And, and these people are, are typically uh, not on the, on the short list uh, to become the CEO. Uh, they're not mm-hmm. typically prominent in the organization, but they may even be your outcasts. And where we've arrived with some of these companies is putting them in the right situations and championing and encouraging that level of creativity, bringing them into the right space, having them sheltered, uh, having them engage iteratively with customers and with long-term patient capital, and, and, and frankly, breaking all the rules around processes and procedures in the big company that are prototypically designed for scale, right? This is a way to help uh, encourage that. Now, the point you make is fair. Some companies say, look, we know we need to make a change and we need to make it quickly, but, but we just don't have enough ideas. And it's, it's then when you run a, you know, you run a blitz type of design thinking session uh, with senior management and others in the organization for a number of days to figure out what are the opportunities. But, uh, but, but really the, the premium is on moving things idea all the way through to commercialization. And one can be successful at the idea generation and then throw it over the fence and have it totally drop, um, which is the, the situation we see quite frequently. Sam? Totally agree with the innovation drops. Um, you know, um, um, I, th- I think in startup organizations, you know, you're able to really kind of take the ideas and, 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 and build it out to a point where, you know, you are not only coming up with the ideas, but you're in charge of execution. You're in charge of getting that out to customers. You're in charge of customer success. And certainly in large organizations, that often becomes siloed into different departments. And every single time you have to hand over a concept, um, that's when I think uh, when Jason's talking about those innovation drop points, uh, those that we see those occurring all the time. Greg Petroff, got to get you back in this. There's so much happening. What do you think? Well, I think there's been a couple of interesting points here that um, you can't, I mean, you have to kind of be uh, mindful of each of them, right? We, we, we started with talking about space, and we've now moved into creativity and culture and, mm-hmm. um, and then identifying talent, right? And so they, these all go hand in hand. Um, and for organizations that want to deal with the pace of change that, you know, I talked a little bit about and Jason sort of more articulately elaborated on, um, you have to kind of tackle all of these things at the same time. Um, you know, creating the right space gives you the playing field or the environment for people to uh, be creative. It, it, it creates the um, serendipity of connections so that uh, the types of talent that Jason was just talking about um, can be more valued um, and can find a home. I mean, oftentimes the, the very type of iconoclastic person that Jason's talking about um, leaves the corporation because they don't see a career path in their, um, uh, as they move in the organization or they get typecast as the ideas person but not the execution person. So um, creating an environment <clears throat> for those people to be successful. And then coupling uh, the ideation with execution is really, really important. And I think um, part of um, uh, creating environments where you bring people together, uh, it's really about building multidisciplinary teams and really understanding what kinds of talent that you have and making sure that you operate in a sort of non-siloed way. And and this all sounds really easy to do, but it's actually really, really difficult because it goes across um, career aspirations. It goes across uh, usually deeply ingrained corporate culture, 
around, you know, how I succeed is by controlling an outcome. Um, and now I'm, you're asking me to work in a kind of a multidisciplinary way where I'm a partner or a participant in an outcome, but not necessarily the owner of an outcome. And so incentive models have to change in organizations to actually incent this kind of behavior to happen. Um, but it's, it's the, the flip side of it is it's actually much more rewarding work. So if you can do the work to sort of uh, show people how it's done, and, and you know, um, uh, in GE what we've done is um, you know, sort of created a new environment for doing this kind of work and are bringing people through it, um, and as we do, we sort of infect them with enthusiasm about how to do the work. Uh, it's going back out into the rest of the company as, as a whole. And so I think there's a process for, for bringing it. And I guess going back to the last point, it's um, when you get a team that can operate in an environment that encourages exploration, uh, rapid ideation, but is also highly focused on execution and getting things done, uh, people really, really gravitate towards it, and they enjoy it, and it actually makes work um, their life's work. Um, and we've seen it; it can be a very strong and powerful transformation agent for companies. Um, and in part of you know being successful these days is actually getting your people aligned towards an outcome. And these kinds of environments and these kinds of techniques are are just fantastic at doing that. Thank you. I want to talk about something else. We've covered a lot of territory here. I'm looking at the notes from Greg and Jason and Sam. We've covered a lot of what the three of you sent me in advance, but there's one thing I don't think we've talked about. We've talked about the people involved in the innovation process and the, the layers of companies, and we've talked about everything from startups to large established organizations and the organizational life cycle. But we haven't talked about the actual space, what does the innovation space look like, and who is charged with setting it up or resetting it up. So Sam Yan, you know I'm looking at your points here. Uh, you say make the facilities organization shine. We can't talk about a facility and a structure and a design without thinking about somebody is tasked with making it happen. And Sam says when you create an innovation space, the facilities team may be resistant because you're challenging their status quo. You're stepping into their domain. So Sam says, highlight the facilities team and showcase them. And guess what? Make them heroes. So Sam, you want to take us through a little bit of this actual process of redesigning the space? How do you get the right people on the facilities team to get the right innovative space? Talk to me, Sam. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I think a lot of organizations, um, you know, before you even engage with, with the facilities organization, I think um, a lot of organizations make the mistake that they feel that, you know, the end goal is to create a more innovative culture to produce more innovative products for, you know, whatever business that they're in. And a lot of people see examples of best practice. You know, they'll sometimes come to Silicon Valley and do innovation tours to look at innovative spaces. And they'll come to the conclusion that, hey, if we create an innovative space, we'll all of a sudden become a more innovative organization. Um, and that's so not true because of all of the things that we've been talking about, you know, the people, mm -hmm. the culture, the processes, and, and, and all of those, uh, those, those things. Um, but uh, once you have um, uh, actually figure you know so i always tell people actually you know if you want an innovation innovative culture don't start with the space that's the that's the wrong place to start you know okay. make sure that kind of those those values and 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 that culture and all of that stuff is really well articulated you have buy in and you have the right people to be able to execute on that space and the space should come in to then facilitate um, and to kind of enhance uh, that environment 
but but underneath, you know, it's at the at the end of the day, it's the people, the, the mindset that, that that really matters. Now, once you're able to kind of figure out what that, uh, you know, how how you actually want that space to enhance, uh, you know, the, the actual teamwork and the team culture. Um, like uh, it, it's you're gonna. It, it takes a while to to get the facilities organization to to buy into what you're doing because there's usually a misalignment of goals. Facilities organizations are also kind of measured by their own KPIs, um, and, and and oftentimes it's it's all about kind of making sure that they stay stay under budget, um, and 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 are able to uh, you know go according to uh, you know usually the innovativeness. Of the teams is not part of the facilities mandate, um, so I think you know um, just getting them involved early on in the process and showing examples of how you know by doing this we're actually you're actually able to showcase uh, facilities and make make the facilities organization um, just more strategic in, in the discussion about kind of what you know the organization is all about. Uh, there's been some examples uh, here at SAP where we've been able to create some of these innovation spaces. And, you know, the first time we do it, we actually had to do it somewhat behind the backs of facilities, right? We, we actually went mm-hmm. off campus and created our own space to give an example of what that might look like. But once we brought them on board, we were actually able to get them highlighted in terms of showcases and press releases uh, where, we, where we kind of showed that the facilities organization of SAP was doing all these innovative things. And that really kind of got them on board and got them interested in discussing how we could expand that, how we could actually bring that back onto campus. You know, Bonnie, Thank you. Uh, this yes, is Jason. So, so mm-hmm. Sam's comments really, really resonate. The number of companies we've seen, in particular from abroad, that come into the Valley, spend tens of millions of dollars on the most architecturally beautiful building, mm-hmm. and then they pull a bunch of people from abroad and they put them here, um, only to have the same set of people just in a different building and location, but exactly. totally untethered with the innovation ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, it's, it's clearly a far more holistic uh, topic than that. I think uh, the, the, the importance of being off campus is one that I think was well underscored at one point by John Chambers, the, the CEO of uh, Cisco. He said, look, I'm going to put you guys just off the corporate campus. And he went even further. He said, look, if you receive any emails from anybody for, uh, with the suffix, in their email address at cisco.com, you're not required to reply. And, and the reason for that is by getting outside the four walls of the company um, mm-hmm. and having a unique venue for this type of innovation, you tend to avoid uh, the attack of some of the antibodies inside the company. So oftentimes these new ideas, if inside the company, tend to gravitate toward uh, the status quo, if you will, back to their, you know, original DNA. That's not to say that innovation can only happen outside the four walls, but typically when you start, if you need to jumpstart a culture, uh, an innovation culture, it's best to do it slightly uh, just off campus. And in fact, we're we're just in the process for uh, some of our customers of building a a new 30,000 square foot uh, space, and we're starting with an absolutely clean um, sheet of paper uh, to, to make sure that we're building in many of these design principles uh, to facilitate it, not only the uniqueness of the space to help drive the culture and the ideation, but also the interaction with the ecosystem uh, that's surrounding and the ability to, to tether back to the mothership, uh, as we like to say. 
Thank you very much, Jason. I want to bring Greg into this. And, and Greg, I'm looking at your notes, and I think this is a good time to talk about what exactly the space would look like. You talk about a concierge. Teams need everything in the moment of exploration. It has to be experiential. It has to have flexible types of spaces. you want to describe a little bit of what the physical space could look like for making people be in, in the mode, the mindset for thinking and innovation? Greg Petrov? Yeah, sure. And by the way, I want to distinguish between two kinds of spaces, right? There's the mm-hmm. space that we um, sit and do work with our teams, and there's and then there's kind of a space that we're sort of, I think, collectively talking about where um, teams come together to do innovation work um, in you know, sort of high performance, high pressure, sort of um, uh, orchestrated um, uh, conditions. And and you actually need to pay attention to both, right? And and you know, there's a there's a lot of conversation going on right now around the notion of the open office plan and whether it's productive for people or not productive for people. Um, we've seen that open office helps in terms of collaboration of teams, and I'm, but I'm not going to talk about that. What I really want to talk about is a dedicated innovation environment. And if you do build a dedicated innovation environment, this is a place where you congregate customers and and multidisciplinary teams and executives and um, and try to foster innovation through this sort of art of making, there are a couple things that you have to kind of do to get it right. And, and, and from our perspective, we've learned a couple things along the way. One, yeah, the notion of a concierge is actually really important because people come and, they, and, and what you want to do is you want to allow the people who are in the process of thinking of new ideas um, and, and being creative to, to have no obstacles in their ability to do that work. So from the moment that they start, let's say they, they come for three days or a week or even one day, um, from the moment they start to the, to the moment they finish, everything that they need to be successful sort of magically appears. If you can do that, it allows the sort of train of thought to continue, the seed to not be disrupted, the teams to participate in a high-energy way. And so that's kind of an important piece of the puzzle. Um, the second part of it is, you know, uh, this notion of uh, impermanence or changeability. And, and you mentioned this earlier in the conversation, Avani, around, um, uh, you know, the garage, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, creating, creating a space that um, ha- people have permission to change is actually part of the game. It allows people to feel more creative. It, 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 it sort of... Uh, incense people to challenge their own convictions when they're unable to actually physically change the environment. So uh, flexible furniture, uh, you know, the ability to change wall locations, um, things like that sound, you know, like, oh, isn't that cool? But it turns out it's actually functionally important for getting teams to work in the, in the right way because it enables them the, or gives them permission um, to be, you know, more expressive, more broadly, um, more capable. Um, and then, you know, so that's around flexibility. And then you need different types of space. Um, and so it's not just one kind of environment. Uh, uh, when you do innovation work, it can be very exhausting, especially when you're a team um, uh, orientation. And it can also be very challenging from an interpersonal standpoint. You have different personalities. You have uh, people that uh, may be um, uh, uh, stuck on an idea, very connected to it, and, and unwilling to move, and others who are are, you know, um, uh, maybe being unproductive. And so you need to create uh, places where they can be very intense, and then you have to play, create environments where let the, it's like a living room or a place where you can unwind 
uh, and, and you have to facilitate knowing when to move people between those kinds of spaces based on the flow of a workout so that they can be mo- as most productive as possible. So if you can do that, then you can, you can actually manage multiple groups at the same time. You can manage energy at the same time, and you can get people through that period of, of, of their visit or their participation in a ideation or, or, or making session uh, to maintain their energy through the entire experience and exit that experience with something that's really tangible and an action plan and know exactly what they need to do. And that's the trick. If you just bring people to like a, quote, creative place and, and, and set them about, people will drift. Um, they may not find what they're looking for, uh, and they may leave thinking the experience was great, but they don't have an outcome that they can take with them. That, that's a miss. So um, in doing these kinds of environments, it's actually, you know, um, very important. It is highly connected to culture. So, you know, one thing may work in the SAPs of the world and may not work in the GEs of the world uh, and vice versa. And, and you have to be willing as a staff that operates these kinds of environments to constantly be iterating in them, um, inserting new ideas into it, changing the status quo um, so that uh, uh, you can find that rhythm that allows you know, real innovation to happen uh, in a way that helps transform your company. Thank you very much. And guess what? I'm hearing a lot of noise, but we're trying to, uh, trying to keep going here. It's time for our predictions round. We're skipping our break because we're almost out of time. I've got five minutes left to the end of the show. So, Greg Petroff, I'm going to impose on you for one minute of predictions. If we met again in, let's say, the year 2020 or any time in the future, what would we be saying about the case for space? What kinds of changes and advancement would you see in big companies, little companies, whatever your purview is? So, Greg Petroff, one minute for predictions. Why don't you start us off? Go ahead. Well, our spaces will be instrumented, uh, so they'll know what we're doing and how we're performing, um, and they will give us feedback on how we're doing, uh, and that will be actually very useful for us to um, tune and highlight uh, how we work. Uh, And our our spaces will be persistent, which means that whatever we do in those environments, the space will remember what we're doing, and if we return another day to that Mm -hmm. space or another space, like that space, and we feel like we need to um, start from where we left off, um, the environment will be able to recreate where we were and play it back for us. So we will, space will become a much more active participant uh, in our innovation practice. I like that, like the sleep number bed, except you have to keep pumping it up every couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Jason Utopolis, I'm giving you one minute for predictions. What do you see in the future, Jason? Go ahead. Sure, Bonnie. So industry lines continue to, to blur. Uh, so the game has definitely changed. The life cycle of the largest companies will continue to shorten. As a result, they'll start to evaluate their structures, uh, perhaps moving increasingly toward uh, a loosely uh, tethered federated collection of affiliated companies under one umbrella for purposes of agility in response to significant market shifts, uh, but at the same time looking to institutionalize these innovation processes and build a capability uh, for a new business building. Uh, they'll need to increasingly attract these iconoclastic startup employees that we talked about and bring meaningful work to them. And by way of uh, space, they'll move from co-working spaces to co-innovation spaces where companies from different industries sit side by side for purposes of cross-fertilization, accelerated learning, uh, also uh, participating closely with customers and partners. And lastly, 
uh, we think uh, you know many of these companies will be increasingly moving in the direction of social ventures by way of their innovative creations, taking responsibility for many of the issues we see uh, globally these days. Thank you very much, Sam Yen. I saved one minute for you. Prediction, Sam, how far in the future can you see? Go ahead. Look, I'm going to take an optimistic view. Um, in the okay. future, hopefully we won't have to call these spaces innovation spaces. You know, Number one, that's pretty presumptuous and puts a lot of pressure on the people that are in the spaces to quote-unquote innovate. And second of all, um, hopefully you know, these won't be places where people go to be innovative and then go back to their you know, daily lives and do things in the status quo. But this will just kind of emerge as the environment that everybody works in in the future. Thank you very much. And you know what? I have a prediction, and it's another announcement. We have just debuted four brand-new series here under the banner of SAP Game Changers Radio. And next Tuesday, the fifth of our new series is debuting. It's called Game Changing Women. That's right. Not anything with Game Changers. We moved it around. It's Game Changing Women. And we're going to be discussing Cheryl Sandberg's book, Leaning In, with a panel of women in with great business experience and seeing who's pro, who's con, and who's in the middle. So that's coming up next Tuesday. This afternoon, I'll be back with an episode of The Internet of Things with Game Changers, talking about bringing IoT into the enterprise part two. I want to thank my special guests. Great conversation. Greg Petroff at GE Software. Thank you. Jason Utopolis at Mach 49. Thank you. And Sam Yan, all the way from Dublin, Ireland. We don't usually get callers from Ireland. Appreciate your making the time, Sam, from SAP. Shout out to our tweeters extraordinaire. We have Katie Mosier today. I think Chris Mark has been tweeting. Mark Labez, thank you very much. Malcolm Kimberlin, appreciate it. And, of course, Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. You know what it is, but I'll tell you anyway. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. See you in a couple of hours right here on the Business Channel with the Internet of Things with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.